So this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 21. Um, and if, if you're joining us for the first time, we've been in an Acts series. Uh, we're going to be in an Acts series most likely till the end of September when we finish. Um, but up to that point, we've, we've, we've seen a lot of happen. We've seen God transform societies and communities. We've seen uh, the Spirit empower people to do some pretty incredible things, uh, utilizing spiritual gifts and encouraging leaders and planting churches and, and providing protection when protection was needed, as well as providing stamina in the midst of persecution, in the midst of, of everything happening. And if there is one phrase that we talk about a lot as the Alliance and even throughout the book of Acts, our desire, and even in the, the, the book of Acts, we see that all of Jesus for all the world is the goal. That's our mission. That's our why. That's, that's why we live life. That's who we are as believers. And we know that in order for all of Jesus to become all the world, we have to allow the Spirit to empower us um, and, and, and to walk in that power. And it's because of that power the Spirit worked throughout Acts, throughout cities, throughout communities, uh, in prisons, in leadership. And last week, we left off. Uh, we're, we're, we're gearing, we're, we're, we're kind of winding down Paul's third missionary journey. Matter of fact, we're almost winding down his life. Um, and, and we're going to see some pretty hard things happen from here on out. There's going to be some struggles and some things happening. But we left off. Last week in Acts 20 with um, the Ephesian elders, and we've seen um, the, this encounter. Paul is trying to get to Jerusalem uh, to deliver money that was given by Gentile churches for the Jews in Jerusalem. And there's significance there, because we know that there's a, a disconnect. There's still some tension between Jews and Gentiles and, and, and Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And church, this is significant because while the Jews are having a hard time accepting the Gentiles, it's the Gentiles who are like, look, we love you. We care for you. And it's the Gentile churches that are giving money to the poor Jews in Jerusalem. And Paul is trying to get that money to Jerusalem. He's trying to get there by Pentecost. Uh, which is the celebration of the coming of the Spirit. And along the way, Paul still makes time to encourage the church. We saw in, in Miletus last week that Paul was spending time with the Ephesian elders, encouraging them, challenging them, and he left them with this challenge that they are to uh, watch themselves and protect the flock for which the Holy Spirit has called them to be overseers with. And we talked about the challenge that elders have in churches to be above reproach, to lead and love well, to walk by the Spirit, to continually preach the gospel. And on the island, as they were about to send Paul and the companions off, we see this intimate compassion moment where there's tears flowing because the elders know that this is the last time that they're going to see Paul. And with that, Let's rise as we read in chapter Acts, uh, 21 of Acts this morning. Acts 21. This is on kind of the shorelines. They're about to send Paul out in the ship. And this is what Luke writes. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, 
we went aboard and set sail. When we came in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul, do not go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all with wives and children accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and having come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we seized and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Lord Jesus, this morning, God, we pray that you would give us wisdom, give us insight. God, illuminate our minds to the understanding of this passage and how we are to apply it and what we're called to do. Lord, allow your spirit to move, Jesus. God, and may we be aware of how you're moving, when you're moving, why you're moving. But God, may our hearts and ears be open to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. So Paul, along with Luke and other people, are on the shore ready to leave. And the Ephesian elders are clinging to them. And it says, and when we had parted from them and sat sail. Look, this wasn't just a, hey, see ya, goodbye, wave bye. This was, they literally had to separate themselves from the, from the elders. They literally had, the Greek word is tear apart. They literally had to tear themselves away from the elders. Uh, how many of you guys have children? And you know sometimes when, you're, when you were raising them and you're growing up and about to leave the house, what did your kids do? They cling to you. They didn't want you to leave. And Chloe is big on this. Every time I'm about to leave, she clings to me and says, Daddy, why are you leaving? And I say, I got to go to work. And she's like, why? Just stay here and play with me. Spend time with me. Play games with me. And my heart breaks because all I want to do is be present with them. Now, I'm not always great at that, um, but when this happens, I'm like, Chloe, I would love to be here, but I have to, I have to go. I have things I got to do, and so literally I have to tear her off of me and sit her down and walk out the door because 
If not, she, like, I'm literally going to have this child clinging to me as I'm working. Um, and, and that's what Paul and them had to do. There was so much care and so much passion and so much love for each other that they had to leave. And so Luke continues on writing some of the things that were going on, some of the things that were happening. And, um, you know, Paul, Paul had it hard. His calling on his life was, was serious. And there was nothing that was going to stop him from fulfilling the will of God on his life. And in this passage in Acts 21, there is an underlying big idea, an underlying thing that, says, that, that talks about the cost of discipleship. That when we follow Jesus, there are things in our lives that we're going to have to make decisions on that are going to um, cause people to know why. Why are you doing that? Why are you leaving? Why can't you just stay here with me? What is going on? And so when we follow Jesus and we say yes to Jesus and we're committed to following him, there's going to be things in our lives that are going to be crazy to our family members and our friends that they're not going to understand, that they're going to have to come to a conclusion saying, okay, if that is God's will for your life, you're going to have to do it. Now, there's also another significant idea that's happening, and that's the beauty of God-centered, Christ-centered friendships. People in our lives who we can look to, that we can find encouragement with, that we actually want to spend time with and point each other to Jesus. And if you notice, all of Paul's journeys wasn't done alone. He had people in his life, he had friends in his life, companions in his life who would always pour into him. They would always encourage him. And this was, was evident of that with the Ephesian elders. He cared for them and they cared for them. For him. And so there's all of this going on, but we knew that Paul had, um, I keep dropping everything today, but we know that Paul had a goal. He was on a journey. He was trying to get to Jerusalem knowing all that was about to happen. And in this journey, you know, he's trying to get there. It says, uh, they, they boarded this ship, and the next day they board this ship, and they go to this island, and they go to that island, and, and, and it says that he spent time, uh, very short times, with his disciples, right? There's about 52 days between Passover and Pentecost that Paul was trying to, to utilize to get to Jerusalem on Pentecost, and so he spent uh, days with the Ephesian elders, and then in, in 21, he says that he you know, he says, Sal, they came to this course and that course, and the next day we went to this ship. And then in verse 3, they landed in Tyre, and it says that they were unloading their cargo there, and it says that, they, that he sought out disciples. It wasn't that the disciples were waiting for him. It says that he sought them out. He knew the importance of discipleship. He knew the importance of friendship. He wanted to spend time with God's people. And if that's anything for us, we should be adamant about spending time with God's people because of the Christ-centered encouragement, because of, of the things that God wants to speak, right? And so while he was there meeting with the disciples there in Tyre, um, it says that they stayed there for seven days. And during those seven days, it said that the Spirit spoke to the believers. And, and, and out of that response, the believers were like, Paul, don't go. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go because what is about to happen? And we look at that and we ask the question, well, who was right? Were the disciples right? 
for, for telling Paul to not go? Were they, were they wrong? Was Paul right for not heeding their instructions? You know, beginning of Acts, we talked about how we can hear the will of the Father, how we can know what the Spirit desires for us and what God has called us to. And one of the things we talked about is the importance of Christian counsel, wisdom counsel in our lives. And we talked about how we are to seek that out and, and through the Spirit and through discernment, um, talk to our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and go, hey, like, I'm wrestling this. What, what, are you, what do you believe God is calling me to? Um, and we can look at this and go, well, here's believers, here's Christ-centered, godly believers who, who, who love Jesus, who are now through the Spirit, it says, telling Paul not to go. But were they right? Were, were what they saying, was it instruction that Paul was to heed or was he to continue on with what the Spirit has already told him? F.F. Um, F. Bruce said this, it should not be concluded that this determination to go on was disobedience to the guidance of the Spirit of God. It was under constraint of that Spirit that he was bound for Jerusalem in such determination. Look at some of these verses. We go back to Acts 9, when, when God first encountered him, God says to Ananias, for I will show him, Paul, how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul's calling to suffer, his calling to be obedient to Christ was very early on in, in his transformation when he got saved. Suffering was a part of God's will for Paul's life. Look at this next one in Acts 19. Now, after these things finished, Paul proposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Paul is being led by the spirit. The Spirit continues to lay on Paul's heart, hey, you have to go to Jerusalem. I'm calling you to Jerusalem, and I'm going to let you know that this is what's going to happen. Look at Acts 20. And now behold, bound captive by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Paul is captive to the Spirit. Paul is captive to what the Spirit has called him to, and the Spirit has warned him, hey, Paul, this is exactly what's going to happen for you, and you have to go forward. So what is going on here? What is happening here in Acts? Well, listen, we should listen to advice and accept instruction, but we must understand that the purpose and will of the Lord will stand imperative and that we have to follow that. The Spirit is going to speak. And we're going to have times where, where we're going to get mixed reactions. We're going to get mixed things going on. And we're going to see later uh, where some of the responses come from. But when we look up here, these Christians in Tyre, they love Jesus. They desired nothing but the best for Paul. But here's the thing. Sometimes what we hear from the Spirit, we respond with humanness. We respond in the flesh. The Spirit definitely showed the disciples what was going to happen to Paul, but the reaction was of the flesh. The reaction was, hey, Paul, uh, maybe this is conditional. Maybe you don't have to go to Jerusalem. Maybe you can just stay here and not be shackled and not be imprisoned and not be persecuted. Paul, we care about you, so don't go. Sometimes we, we construed and, and we miss. Um, interpret what the Spirit is calling, what the Spirit's saying. And they, they thought that the Spirit was telling Paul not to go, but in reality, the Spirit was just telling them what was to happen. I know for me in my life, 
And when I was called to move on from Jersey, I had so many different misreactions. I had my family going, what are you, crazy? Why are you leaving Jersey? Like, stay here. Like, you have a great job. You're making all this money working for Cintas and working part-time at the church. Um, stay here. You have a greatness. Like, we're, we're only an hour from you, and if you move, we're going to be farther away from you. And what about our grandkids and all these things? And while that is great, those are things because they care about us. But the spirit in our lives was calling us out of Jersey to, to other ministries. And sometimes it is hard to leave family. It's hard to leave the comforts of, of Jersey and what I've always known to follow Jesus. But sometimes we have to continue to march forward, even if it means being uncomfortable in many ways. And so Paul, they, he was adamant. He's like, I have to go. And what I love here, listen to what I love here. This is the greatness about Christian friendship. This is the great thing about having people in your lives who would go with theirs. Look, look, look at verse 5. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed. Church, there's beauty in having Christian friendships and godly people in your life that you can pray with. That, that as you go and as you make decisions, you can kneel together and pray over those decisions. Christ has called us to be people of prayer. He's called us to be a community of prayer. We're called to spend time and pray with each other. And so do you have people in your lives who pray with you? Do you have people in your lives when you're faced with decisions and you're trying to figure things out? Do you have people in your lives who will sacrifice, take time, kneel down, and go before the throne together? Who will lift you up? Paul and his companions, they, they were encouraging him. Christ has called disciples and followers of Jesus to encourage each other. And, and a lot of times that is spent time praying together. Remember, I always said life is not meant to be done in isolation, but community. We are called to pray together. We're called to communicate and talk about Christ together. And this is what was happening. So Paul left. They said farewell. They went on board a ship, and the wives and the children and the disciples stayed home because God has called them specifically to that city, so they weren't to go. And so they finished the voyage, and again, it says that they, they stopped somewhere else and greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. There was more encouragement. There was more prayer. There was more edification. And on the next day, they departed and came to Caesarea, and they entered the house of Philip the evangelist. Here's our guy. Here's our boy, right? Remember back in Acts 6 when, when the elders were like, hey, we have to find people who can, serve, who can serve the people, serve the poor, serve the widows so that we can focus on prayer and God's word. And it says that they recruited how many? Seven. And we know that one of them, Stephen, was stoned to death, who met Jesus. But we also know that Philip was another one. And we know that he in the persecution, they went out and, and they began to evangelize. And we know that he came to Samaria and evangelized Samaria. But we also know another significant story. Who is Philip connected to? You guys remember? It was the Ethiopian eunuch. Right? Philip took time to break down the gospel from Isaiah to this eunuch. And the eunuch went to Africa, and that's where we would believe that the gospel began to go into Africa, 
right? And so this Philip, this evangelist, he was doing some pretty incredible things. And many, many, many years later, we're, we're meeting him again. And now it says that he has four daughters who are prophetess. They prophesy. Uh, they are unmarried. Um, and, and there's four daughters who, who God has given gifts to, spiritual gifts. And this confirms what Jude wrote in the Old Testament, that, that your sons and daughters are going to dream dreams and prophesy and, and, and interpret visions. And we know that God works and God empowers and God gifts, regardless if you're male or female, and God calls you to specific things. And so here's four daughters who have the gift of prophecy. We don't know much else about them. That's all we know is that they were they were prophetess. They, they, they spoke prophecy. And so just to give you a little bit about what prophets do, the job of the prophet is to speak truth to power. And therefore, it is generally helpful that prophets operate outside the official structure of the church, right? And so prophets, uh, they speak truth, right? And so here's prophets, they speak truth, they, they speak the Bible, they speak scripture over things. And it's clear uh, that, that God has a special plan for their lives to speak the word of God to people through power, through truth, with, with courage. So being said, Luke doesn't give much, but it, it goes on to explain another prophet named Agabus, right? So here's Paul spending time with Philip spending time with his disciples in this home, spending time with his daughters. And I would imagine here is where Luke began to get a lot of maybe beforehand stuff. Maybe Luke began to get what happened at the beginning of Acts through Philip and others, and he's able to write about it. Maybe Luke began to even get stuff from the gospel of Luke, and we know all these things that are going on. But here is a prophet named Agabus. Now, Agabus was the prophet from Acts 11. And if you know what the prophet in Acts 11 said, it says that there was going to be a famine. And so here's Agabus again coming down, prophesying over Paul, prophesying over things that were going on. And here again, the, the Lord, the will of the Lord, the Spirit calling Paul, Agabus goes on to prophesy exactly how Paul is going to be imprisoned. And so he takes Paul's belt, which studies would show that this belt would wrap around Paul about seven times. Think about this. That's a long belt, right? And so he takes Paul's belt and <laughs> says that Agabus bound himself up, right? He, he tied up his hands, tied up his feet, and Agabus went to prophesy saying, hey, this is what's going to happen, right? Look what it says. He took Paul's belt, verse 11, and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Lord, the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind you for anyone who owns his belt and delivers them into the hands of the Gentiles, right? And so he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles and that's how he's going to get to Rome. And again, it says that the disciples and even Luke himself, like Paul's closest companions are now hearing this, hearing everything that's happening. And again, they say, Paul, don't go. Don't go to Jerusalem. Paul, you know what's going to happen. Why would you even go? What's the point of going, Paul, if you know that your life is going to be uncomfortable? You're going to be in prison. Can't you just stay back and prevent that from happening? Do you really want to be arrested, Paul? Do you want to be in prison? Do you want to go to Rome? Like, all these things are going on in Paul's response. What is Paul's response? What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Paul's mind has already been made up. The Spirit has already spoken to him numerous times what was going to happen. And Paul's mentality is whatever happens, like all to the glory of Jesus. All to the glory of Christ. And this has caused me to, to evaluate my life, right? If I had the luxury of Paul, the Spirit saying, hey, this is what's going to happen in the future. Here's all the churches you're going to be a part of. Here's all the church hurt you're going to have. Here's believers who are actually going to turn against you. Here's this church who's going to ask you to sacrifice your wife for Jesus. Here's this church where a guy is going to threaten you with a gun because he doesn't like the decisions. If I knew all of that was going to happen, the question I had to ask myself this week is, will I continue to say yes to Jesus? Will I continue to say yes, knowing that what my future was going to hold? How many of you would think it's so much easier if God just showed you what your future holds? Would your decisions be different? If you saw your future and you knew that following Jesus is going to cause you to have, um, not have as many friends, or going to cause uh, people who, who, who call you themselves friends actually uh, disown you or question your decisions, would your yes still be yes? If you knew that saying yes to Jesus would cause you to move five different states, would your yes still be yes? Everything is falling on me today. If you knew that following Jesus was going to cause your wife to leave you, would you still do it? I can't imagine what people in other countries who their lives are at stake following Jesus would be. Would your yes still be yes if you knew your future? If you knew the consequences, if you knew the cost of following Jesus, would your yes still be yes? And Paul's here going, my yes is still yes. No matter what happens to me, my calling is still to pursue Jesus and make him known. And every single one of us has that calling. Every single one of us has the calling to make Jesus known in different facets, in different ways, in different ministries, in different jobs. Yes, not everyone's going to be called to be a pastor. Not everyone's going to be called to be an evangelist or a missionary. But we're still called to share Jesus. Some of you, your calling was to be a farmer, and you love it, and you're great at it, and God is using you tremendously. And God, if God has called you to be a farmer, would your yes still be yes if you saw the financial struggles and everything that was about to happen in the world? Would your yes still be yes? And Paul's decision is going, guys, no matter what you tell me, my yes is still yes. Even if certified prophets were speaking saying, hey, this was going to happen. Even though God uses prophets, even though God uses people to speak in each other's lives, listen to what Paul says in Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good. When people speak into our lives and they, they, they love Jesus and they're speaking into our lives, we are to, to listen, we're to heed their advice, but we're called to test it. Why are they saying this? What are the urges? What are the encouragement? What are the challenges? Are, are they telling me something just so that way I can be comfortable and if I don't make this decision, then I'm comfortable and my life is not chaotic? 
Are they saying something because, yeah, this is of Christ? Paul listened. I guarantee you he listened to his brothers and sisters. I believe he listened to Agabus and all the prophecies that were happening, and he tested them, and in the end, he still said, no, in my spirit, in my soul, the Holy Spirit is still saying this moment that I am to go, that I am to be arrested. Wayne Grudem said this, it is significant because Paul simply disobeyed their words something he would not have done if he had thought that they were speaking the very words of God. Paul listened to them, but he knew that what they were saying was not fully of God. Yes, the prophecy, the vision they got of seeing Paul in shackles, imprisoned, right? All of that is true, but their response was human. The response was out of care. The response was out of trying to protect Paul and not allow the Lord to, to move, It doesn't mean that he disrespected his friends. It just means that he desired to obey the Father more. We could talk about this. The reality is is that God's word is ultimate authority in our lives. What is God fully saying to you? We should listen to godly counsel. We should put friends in our lives who are going to point us to Jesus. But in the end, we have to discern it with what the word of God says. Paul's response said it all. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of Jesus. His mind was already made up. Many people would have said that this was Paul's Gethsemane moment. If you guys remember, right, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane crying out to the Father, right? The the disciples had been warning him, Jesus, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem because if you go, this is what's going to happen, right? And Jesus is saying, hey, this is what's going to happen, right? I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be mistreated, right? All this is for the Father's will. And the disciples are like, Jesus, don't go. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is crying out saying, Father, if this is your will, let this cup run from me. Don't allow me to go through with this. Don't allow me to be hurt. Don't allow me to face this torture. Allow me just to be safe. Jesus was feeling that in his human flesh going, God, this is painful to even think about. But what was Jesus' response? What was his response in all of this? Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, he was human. He had desires. He had a will. But in the end, he was submitted to the Father's will for his life. And his calling was to be crucified for the sake of our sins. He came to free the captives. In order to free the captives, he had to pay the the most difficult, hardest price. And that was to be crucified on the cross for our sins. And while we can't fully compare Paul to Jesus because Paul wasn't Jesus, right? Paul was, was running after Jesus. Paul was pursuing Christ. Paul was pursuing his will. Paul was pursuing Jesus. But in the end, Paul said, not my will, but God's will be done. Do you think Paul really wanted to be arrested and killed? Do you really think he wanted to to face all those things? No. But God says, Paul, this is my calling on your life. You will face persecution and hardships. Jesus had a choice. And I'm so glad that he chose to follow the Father's will. I'm so glad that he said yes to the Father and he continued to say yes, even though it meant him being crucified on that cross. And I'm so glad that Paul kept his yes on the table. 
I'm so glad that he faithfully followed Jesus. Because as we continue and as we look through some of his letters, his calling and his yes allowed him to go to Rome where he wrote some pretty incredible letters as well. But the gospel made it to Rome. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and so all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of all, brothers, having become confident in the Lord by imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed in that I rejoice. Paul knew that his imprisonment was to advance the kingdom, all the Jesus, for all the world. But he still had friends in his life. Listen, look what it continues. It says, well, all right, Paul, you've made up your mind, and so may the Lord's will be done. May the Father's will be done. And it says that they, as they were leaving, it says that they prayed together. And then it says some of them got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. And so here's Paul, surrounded by Christian brothers and sisters, which are very important to our Christian walk, which are significant. But sometimes they're going to say things thinking that it's of the Spirit, but you have to examine that. You have to test that. And Paul tested it. And Paul's admiration for Christ and his will to follow Jesus was way more important than his Christian brothers and sisters. Are you willing to sacrifice everything to follow Jesus? Are you willing to count it all loss if you meant that you would gain Christ? So how are we to apply this? How are we to look at all of this? Well, first, we're to love people, but we're to love Jesus more. We are to care for our Christian brothers and sisters but in the end, if Christ is calling you onto something, you have to love Jesus more. There is no, hey, Jesus, I, I love you, but, but, but I'm going to stay here. No, we love Jesus more. We value input, but we follow God's will. We always heed Christian counsel. If your Christian brothers and sisters have done you no harm and everything they did has with a desire because they love Jesus and they're in God's word and they're, they're in prayer and, and they follow Jesus, then listen to it. But you have to know that God's will will always trump anything because following Jesus is costly, but not following Jesus is more costly. Followers of Christ Regardless of the cost, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we must follow him. Even if it means causing you to be comfortable. Listen, I loved what I did in Jersey. It was great. I was making a lot of money. I was enjoying my job, but my calling was so much deeper than that. And I had to follow Christ. Growing up, I knew that God was calling me to Christian Bible school, and that's the decision I made, but I also had the choice to go to Rutgers for free because of my grades. 
I could have went to Rutgers. No loans, no debt, all of these things. And I look back and I'm like, I don't know. I, maybe I would make that choice. I'm glad I didn't because I met Becky. I, 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 it was at Cairn University where I, met, where I, I got connected to the Christian Missionary Alliance. And I don't know what my life would be like if I chose a different path, if I knew that this was going to happen. We all have decisions to make. But our choice, we have a choice, either to, to, to go for comfort or to fully follow God's will to the end. And for Paul, that was clear. Listen to what Mark says. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man gain in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father. What profits a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Because if we gain Christ, we gain everything. Followers of Jesus now, and you will experience unspeakable joy later. Reject him now in your experience of eternal suffering later. Listen, we follow Jesus and there's no promise for a good life and we're going to experience hardships and we're going to experience things, but eternal life with Christ far outweigh the temporary satisfaction and eternal suffering. Our lives are just this, but eternity is this. What would you choose? Is Christ everything to you? Is Christ sufficient for you? Is Christ enough for you? Listen, Christ, he establishes these relationships. He establishes friendships. He establishes everything that we have. And I look back at my life and I want to change the world. I have friends in all different cities that I served in and I work in and I'm so grateful for them. But if I would have listened to them, I wouldn't be in this moment right now because they didn't want me to move. They didn't want me to leave. In my church in Shelby, I was hearing God calling me here, but, but the leadership there was like, Mike, no, we feel that you are still good with youth ministry here and you should be here. And I had to weigh that. I had to pray over that. And in the end, I'm so grateful that I kept following God's will for my life because he brought me here. Barring all the... the the suffering that I've had over the years and everything else, I am so grateful for where I am. I'm so grateful that I continue, that Becky and I continue to say yes to Jesus. When we think about some of the greatest missionaries of our time, David Livingston, William Carey, Adam Judson, C.T. Studd, John Patton. You have all of these names over time who said yes to Jesus, even though their friends are saying, don't go. The gospel in India wouldn't be in India if, if the missionary who was called there wouldn't, wouldn't have gone. God is calling people to some incredible, uncomfortable situations, and our friends are going to look out for us. But it's in God's calling that we find these things. Judson, he was a Baptist missionary who, who had a desire to go to Burma, a closed country, and against all the pleas of his life, he took his wife into the heart of Burma and he labored for 38 years. He suffered through cholera, malaria, dysentery, and unknown mysteries, miseries that would claim the life of his first wife, his second wife, as well as seven of his 13 children and numerous colleagues. 
However, as a result of his calling, there are close to 4,000 Baptist congregations in the middle of Buddhist Burma. Praise God that he said yes. Countless missionaries over and over and over again who counted the cost of following Jesus. Because following Jesus is costly, but not following him is more costly. Who are you following? Are you allowing fear of humanity to get in the way of what Christ desires to do in and through you? And you might say, following Jesus is scary, Mike. I don't know what's to come. I don't know what's to happen. But here's what I'm going to leave you with. Matthew 28, 20. I will be with you always. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid because the Lord your God will go before you. Exodus 3.12, when he's calling Moses, and Moses' response is, who am I, God? And God's response is, I will be with you. God doesn't call you without going with you or going before you. God's presence is always a promise. God will call us in the hard places. He'll call us to make hard choices. But know that God is present with you no matter where you go. God bids us to come and follow him. Let's surrender to his lordship. Let's follow what God has for us. Even if it means it costs your life, God will be glorified. I'm going to invite the team to come. Jesus, we have difficult choices to make in our lives. Lord, you're calling us to, to for some of us here, you, maybe you're calling them to, to a new job and they're scared and they're nervous to go. Maybe you're calling them to move to a different neighborhood, to a different state, to a different city. Maybe you're calling them to, uh, to, to totally change the career path of their life and, and now their business and now you're calling them into ministry or maybe they're in ministry and you're calling them into the business world and there's all these fears and all these questions and all these concerns and everything that's happening. In the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of all this worry, God, may we take time to step back and test what is it that God desires for my life. May we listen to godly counsel. May we search the scriptures. May our hearts always gear to your will for our lives, Jesus. May we count that cost. True discipleship are those that take up their cross and follow Jesus. May we take up our cross. May we go and surrender to Jesus. Amen.